before I start, I'll just say, uh, I guess I'm thankful that, uh, you know, God's always faithful to us, even though when we're not faithful to him. Amen. But, I mean, it's just, you know, it's for me, I think it's just been like, a, it's been a while since probably last time I preached, just because of, like surgery and then just a little bit of laziness and stuff. But, um, but I would say I'm just thankful that God really does. He cares about us, and he will take care of us through those things that we have to go through. I mean, I may be only about a little, almost halfway through, like, the expected recovery time for my injury. But, I mean, God's taking care of me for three months, so he can do three months more. And so Judges chapter 17, uh, verse 1 starts out, And there was a man of Mount Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said unto his mother, Eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, also which thou curses, and spake of also in mine ears. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord my son. And when he had restored the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I have wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord. From my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now therefore I will restore it unto thee. Yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took two hundred shekels of silver and gave them to the founder, who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had made a had an house of gods and made an ephod and teraphim, and consecrated one of his sons, who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn, where he could find a place, and he came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. And Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? And he said unto him, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn, sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest. And I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel, and thy victuals. I thought I read over that word, but that's not. <laughs> so the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah concentrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. Uh, I just want to take it in the prayer next. Uh, Lord, just thank you for this opportunity to be up here, Lord. Just help me to honor you, Lord, and just put me under the unction of the Holy Spirit, Lord, and just help me to say what you have me to say, Lord, and just help me to step out of the way. And God, just... Thank you for being faithful and always being faithful. And just help me to preach your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So first we're introduced to a man named Micah. And 
So we know that Micah would have took about, he took some money from his mother and that was about 1100 shekels, which back then that would have been equivalent to about a fortune. And so that would have been a lot of money that got stolen. And so we know that the mother cursed the person who ever stole it. And he became aware of the curse because he heard it in his ears. And then he comes clean and then he tells his mom that he stole the money. And then in the mother's attempt to basically remove the curse, she then, and using the Lord's name, she blesses him. And the next thing that we see is, so he restores the money unto his mother, and his mother tells him that she wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord, and that it was going to be used for him, basically, to make graven image and a molten image. And the first thing that I guess I kind of thought of when I was going through is there's kind of a little bit of a problem here. There's something that doesn't make a little, it makes sense, but there's a problem going on because she is saying that this money is for the Lord, but in reality, it's going to be used to make uh, molten images and to be making idols with. And the Bible says something very clear about this, that they would have had, which would have been in the law, and this would have been one of the uh, Ten Commandments, that says Exodus 23 through 5, which tells, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven, above, or that is in the earth, beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for... I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But we see that they weren't supposed to be, you know, saying that we gave this money unto the Lord and then making gods with it. That was never supposed to be happening. If they had the money dedicated unto the Lord, it wasn't, there was no idols, no molten images allowed. That was not supposed to be there. And we see that you know, they kind of, and this time, you know, man was doing whatever they saw was right in their own eyes. And so they kind of started to, you know, find themselves in massive confusion and found themselves in a bunch of deception. And, and then we, and then, so basically he gives it to his mother, even though she wanted to give it to him. And he still decides to restore it unto her. And she takes, you know, 200 of that 1,100. And then she makes the images with. So we don't even know what happened with the other 900. We don't even know if that went to the Lord or not, or she actually broke her vow. Which, if we say that we're going to do something for the Lord and we make that commitment, we better be staying faithful to it. We can't be breaking those vows that we make to the Lord. And so we know 200 of it. And so they gave it to someone, and then they made a graven image and a molten image, and then this was put in Micah's house. And we know that Micah had a house of gods. Uh, he also made an ephod and a teraphim. And 
So, so for example, you kind of see that they, I would say, they kind of started copying different things. Yeah. Like, for example, is that, uh, so in Exodus 29, uh, 5, and thou shalt take the garments and put upon Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate and gird him with the curious griddle of the ephod. So, uh, God had it planned that, you know, the priest would be wearing the ephod on him. He would have the ephod. But instead, you know, Micah makes his own and Micah has his own ephod that he's using. So we kind of see this, you know, he's kind of like, you know, copying it copying similar things because he's also going to use priests and he's going to consecrate them. And so also they were to uh, consecrate, like for example, Aaron would have been consecrated as the priest. So he would have been like set apart and made holy for the service of the Lord. And so Exodus 29, 29 talks about it. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed therein and to be consecrated in them. And so Micah also does consecrate his son as a priest, and later he does consecrate a Levite. So we see that he's copying different things that the Israelites would have done. And I'm sure before that, when they did worship gods in the land and all those kind of things, they probably did similar things to this. But we see that Micah right here is more making a religion instead of making a relationship. That's right. And he... And then, um, you know, Micah was, he was making, he makes ready and he prepares to serve the idols. And then he copied many of the traditions. And so then the next thing we see is the traveling Levite that comes around. And the Levite, you know, he leaves his area, which is perfectly uh, allowed. It's perfectly lawful because uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18 verses 6 through 8 tells us and a Levite come from any of thy gates out of all Israel where he sojourned and come with all the desires of his mind unto the place which the Lord shall choose then he shall minister in the name of the Lord his God as all his brethren the Levites do which shall stand before the Lord they shall have like portions to eat beside that which cometh from of the sale of his patrimony and so we see that the Levites were allowed to leave and go elsewhere to do the Lord's service. That was perfectly allowed. But the problem is with the Levite that gets mentioned here is that first off, he was more than happy to go and basically in, instead, of worshiping, instead of worshiping the Lord, he decided to go worship the gods with Micah. He went along with it and he didn't try to, uh, you know, say this, you're not supposed to do this because the Levites also had a job to be, you know, what they would call fathers to them, which would be people that would, it was a title of honor that reflects the role of the priest in communicating God's law to Israel. And Micah tells them that, you know, to be a, uh, be a father and be a priest to me. And so he's telling him, you're supposed to be, uh, you know, 
communicating God's law. And so we obviously see that the Levite priest did not do this because nothing changed. They still, they still, that house was still a house of God's, and nothing changed about it, and it stayed the same. And the other problem with the Levite was, is that he was more than happy to go to any place, and he wasn't looking for a place that he should have been dwelling, because he was doing what was right in his own eyes. That was the kind of time that they were in. He should have been looking for a place that honored the Lord's service, but instead he went looking for wherever he could find because he was looking for any place that he would be taken care of. And so Micah tells him, you know, dwell with me and you'll be a father and you'll be a priest. And then he concentrates him or consecrated him to be uh, a priest and so now he set up doing, being a priest and serving those gods. And basically we see that Micah made a fake religion. And, and I think where the application for this comes in, after I explained everything that kind of happened, is the application is that we kind of see that Micah Instead of looking for a relationship with God, instead of actually seeking the Lord, he decided to put other things in the way of it. Yeah. I think first he kind of made his own religion. So as Christians, are we being people that are, you know, instead of having a relationship with Jesus Christ, are we just making it, you know, about, more about ourselves than about Jesus because we see Micah in verse 13, he makes it clear. Now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. The Lord will do me good. He was just looking for the Lord's blessing. He wasn't looking for a relationship. And when we go as Christians, you know, instead of seeking a relationship with him, but we're just looking for the Lord's blessing on our lives, and that's the only thing we care about, just like what Micah wanted from the Lord, that's when we start to make a religion instead of a relationship. And so when we start to make it about ourselves, that's one thing we got to be cautious of as Christians because it's supposed to be a relationship of seeking Jesus Christ, not making it about what we want. And then we see that Micah, the other thing is that sometimes we got to be looking because in the way of the Lord, you know, or we look at his mother, for example, who said, I wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord. You see, she establishes that the Lord exists, and Micah establishes it, and they would probably both claim that they did some sort of worshiping or honoring to the Lord. But as I already read in the Ten Commandments, they were to have no other God in the way. It was supposed to be, it was supposed to be just, that's who they worship, that's who they served. And sometimes we got to be cautious if we're putting other things in the way of our relationship with God. Amen. Because that's basically what they started to do. They, sure, they, they noticed the Lord, but there, there were some gods right in the middle of that. And because the Lord doesn't want us to have other gods. Just like he told the Israelites then with the Ten Commandments, God hasn't changed. God still 
wants us to put him first in our lives, and he wants to have all of it. He doesn't want us to be serving other things or being like, you know, this is more important than, you know, reading our Bible. Because when we start to say that, you know, I much rather do this first because I feel like this is more important to get done first instead of reading my Bible today, that's when I would say we have some problems. Because we're starting to say, you know, we're going to put some other stuff ahead of God. We're not going to make God our priority or the thing that we're supposed to be worshiping the most. And then the other problem I would say is that there's a, I would, there's a lot of churches that have, you know, found themselves really starting to like, you know, splinter off from what is, what is right in God's eyes. Instead, they're starting to make church about what is right in their eyes. Amen. Because Amen. Micah, sure, he established the Lord and he put God's ahead. But here's another thing. He was also doing what he felt was right in his own eyes. Because if he was doing what he thought was right in the Lord's eyes, there would have been no gods there. And we see many churches that have decided to say, you know, uh, well, people don't, this isn't really as much politically accepted no more. So we are going to go in the line of what people say is right. Because there's many things that have, for example, the three main things that really came to my mind when they were talking about this and the churches started to let go of its grasp on it and started to say, you know, churches in general, not this church because we stand on the Bible first of all, but churches in general have started to say, you know, that divorce isn't a sin against God or they'll try to act like it, but they, or they may just never speak about it because they don't really want people to say that, but the Bible clearly tells us in many places that divorce would be a sin. And another thing they make clear is that homosexuality is a sin. And churches don't want to say that. They just want to do what's right. And the other thing is that people have started to say that uh, doing things before you're married is also a sin too. Or not a sin. And they've started to okay that in the church, which should never be okayed at all. And, and you see as much as Micah was in his deception with all the things that he was doing, and he was so confused, and you really just see how much the world's just like this today. Because there was no king, but they still chose to do what was right in their own eyes. And... Micah, just like many other people, you know, were searching for something or searching for that relationship with God, but they kept missing the mark or kept finding the wrong thing. Because as you see, Micah slowly continued to add things. For example, he added more. He added that Levite priest because he was searching for, you know, the blessing but he was also searching for the, that satisfaction, that fulfillment, that only is going to come through God. And there's so many, like, I would say, for example, fields of research that really do try to, you know, they try to tell people that there's going to be satisfaction in other ways. 
and other things like that. You just got to find what, you know, suits you. But there's only one way for satisfaction, and that's through Jesus Christ. Amen. And it's, and then you kind of see how they, you know, twisted, like, Micah used many of the terms that, you know, that the priest and the, what they would have used in Exodus, like consecrated, ephod, priest, the priest role of being a father and being a priest, or what that's supposed, what a priest is supposed to look like and what they're supposed to do. And you see how they use these terms, but they twisted them in their own way to make it seem like that. And we see that today with many of the terms that I would say that get used today. For example, you know, the world started to change what different words mean. And then what, and the Bible has a completely different meaning for these words. Uh, For one, the first one I thought of would have been joy. The worldly definition for joy is that it's a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. That's what they describe joy as now. But the Bible, you know, tells us that joy can come from despite our circumstances, and it's described as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And, you know, we can have joy in our lives. You know, when everything's crumbling, when everything seems like it's going wrong, we can have joy because Jesus Christ died for our sins, and we're covered by the blood. If we have confessed our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse all unrighteousness. And if we go to him, you know, Jesus Christ can give us joy. That's where joy is going to come from. They can tell us, you know, it's going to come from, you know, uh, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness, but it's only... True joy is only going to come from Jesus Christ. And they've started twisting these terms. Like, for example, joy would be another one. The other term that started to get twisted in this world is forgiveness. And so worldly forgiveness is to stop feeling angry and resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. And the Bible tells us that God's forgiveness is a lot different than just that. Uh, it's, it blots out our sin, and it casts it out as far as the east is from the west. Amen. That's, that's, what, that's what God's forgiveness does. So think about it. Since he blots it out, that means he completely forgets about it. So it's no longer remembered, and it's gone. And one of the reasons why the world has to describe forgiveness in the way like that is because humans do have a hard time forgetting certain things that happen that are tough for them to be able to forget. So they've had to change that word so humans can feel like they can truly forgive. But, you know, for us, it can be very difficult to forgive just like uh, God can because, you know, it's very easy for us to remember it but in their terms of forgiveness tells us that 
we can't be resentful and we can't be angry about it. That's 100% right. And sometimes we got to be able to forgive just like how uh, God does. It may be a little difficult. We may need the Lord to help us with it. But I believe that, you know, through God, all things are possible. So we can forgive just like that. Because, like, there's been people that, you know, done things to me that, sure, at first I was very, like, probably resentful and angry about it. But through God, I was able to truly forgive and be able, sure, I still may remember what happened, but there's no, there's nothing that's going to offset me about it because I forgave all that what happened and everything that uh, was wrong with it. And, and the last thing, uh, one of the last things I want to know is, so we see Micah did all this, right? And then this is how it ended for Micah. So Judges 18, the next chapter, verses 27. And they took the things which Micah had made and the priest which he had and came unto Laish unto a people that were at quiet and secure, and they smote them with the edge of the sword and burnt the city with fire. So the next chapter, the children of Dan come along, if you look at the previous verse, and the children of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that, they were too strong for him, he turned and went back into his house. And so the children of Dan decide to go and take all the, all the things that Micah invested in, all those gods, and they also took his priests away his Levite priest, and they took it all and stole it all from him. And then you look at Micah. Micah ended up empty with nothing to show for. The world is going to try to tell us there's so many other ways to have satisfaction, and Jesus Christ isn't the way for that. And Jesus Christ is not the way to heaven. They're also going to be trying to tell us that too. But you saw how Micah ended up with nothing. Yeah. He lost everything. Amen. Yeah. And Amen. if we don't accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior first off, we'll never be able to have true joy or true forgiveness in our lives without Jesus Christ. I believe that. And we'll never be able to have salvation if we don't go to him and confess our sins. Because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for us. Each one of us, because he loved us so much and cared about each one of us so much that he wanted us not to go to hell, but to have an eternal home. Yeah, amen. And see, this is just like Micah, how he had empty, nothing to show for. And his destination, well, we don't really know what happened with exactly what happened with Micah. But if you live your whole life in that deception and you never repent for your sins you end up in hell. But if you repent, you can have life through Jesus Christ and you can have eternal life. Because John 3.16 tells me, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, for whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I think the other thing when we you know, read passages like this, and it makes us think of all the people around us in the world that are just living in their deception, it should honestly make us have compassion for them. Because 
They're just falling so foolishly into their deception, and they don't even know they're being deceived. And, you know, they may even think they're being satisfied, but then they're always wanting more. They're always wanting another Levite priest, something to make them feel more fulfilled, more blessed. But then at the end of the day, it shows up all empty. And, you know, what we have to do is we have to have compassion on these people. And we got to be showing them Jesus Christ through, we got to be showing what Jesus Christ did in our lives. And we got to be showing them, we got to be that witness to them. And the other thing, even if, you know, they're super rejected about it, they want nothing to do with Jesus. What we have to do is we have to pray for them. That is what, that's one of the things we can do. We can pray that the Lord can get a hold of their heart. And because it's, it's just a breaking thing to really think about. That's the road they're heading on. And uh, you know, even if they do us wrong and they show us hurt, we got to show them God's forgiveness. Because that is one of the most important things we will be able to show them that, you know, we're not like what the world describes these things because God has given us something different to show them. Because there is something different about Jesus Christ because he actually fulfills, unlike all the other things that they have tried to search for that found no fulfillment and just left them empty. Amen. And, you know, even as Christians, the thing we really do have to watch out for is are we doing what's right in our own eyes? Right. You know, we can say, oh yeah, we're a Christian, but we have all these idols in the way. We don't want to forgive, and we want to act just like like whatever, just like the world, doing whatever's right in our own eyes. And, you know, and another thing uh, that we have a problem in the church where, you know, people leave the church because, you know, they decide that doing or that looking at what's right in their own eyes and they start believing everything around them that tries all the lies that, you know, God didn't inspire his word. And they, they fall for what the devil's lying, those lies, that, you know, this isn't God's word and that the Bible isn't God's word because there's so many Christians that fall into that and they start looking at that right in their own eyes and then they just crash and lose it and they start stop believing in God's word. But here's the thing I want to tell you is that is that here's the reason why, you know, I personally believe in the word of God because for me, I've seen the power of the word of the Lord. And so Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the sword and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And I believe in that verse because I have felt this verse in my life. I may have never been jabbed with a two-edged sword, so I don't know how that personally feels. But 
I'll tell you that the word of God is just as sharp as that. Because you want to know what it does? It convicts. It goes out. God uses his word even to today because it's blessed with his power. There's a reason why we preach the word of God. It's because there's power in the word. Yes. And because the devil just wants us to deceive us and tell us it's all fake, it's not real. But but how can you how can you fall for the devil's trap? Because here's what you gotta remember. It's you gotta remember when that verse was true in your life. Because many, many testimonies will will tell you. You know, it was a sermon that was preached, or they were looking in the Word of God themselves, and a certain verse popped up and convicted them that they needed Jesus Christ for salvation. And then there's also been many times, and then they repent, they get saved. So then they should remember, if you remember that, you can remember there's power in this Word, like no other. And then there's also been times for us that we have to remember is... We were weighing off the edge. You know, our thoughts weren't where it was supposed to be. They weren't, we weren't thinking how we were supposed to be as a Christian. We were, our thoughts were evil, and our intents were evil too. Even as a Christian, when we're growing closer, sometimes we're going to have evil thoughts and evil intents in our hearts because we all sin and fall short, even after we're saved. And then sometimes, you know, we pick up the Word of God, we just start reading it, and we go into it, and guess what? The Word of God pierces right through and it discerns the thoughts of the heart and it tells us you know this is wrong this is not what we're supposed to be doing but we're supposed to be doing that instead because that is god's word being quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and think about it that's the power of god's word because the holy spirit will use god's word to point out things in our life because that's the power that it has 